This is Nightlife with Suzanne Hill on ABC Radio. Now, has there been a moment of your life, I wonder, where for what you thought was some inexplicable reason, you chose option A over option B? Maybe you think something stirred in your gut to turn you towards a decision. Well, it's likely your intuition was kicking in to guide you through the mountains of information your brain processes when you make a choice. You might have an idea that intuition is sort of up there with the sixth sense, a bit woo-woo. There's actually a growing body of science and research which backs the idea of intuition. Now, to explain it to us, I've got with me now Joel Pearson, who's a professor of cognitive neuroscience at the University. University of New South Wales, and also author of a new book called The Intuition Toolkit. Hey, uh, Joel, welcome to Nightlife. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we got we got the title there. <laughs> we did. <laughs> now, um, what first got you interested in studying intuition? Oh, I, mean, I got into intuition over a decade ago. My lab, we just love studying consciousness. And one of the ways we do that, we sort of try and get things into the unconscious and then see how that unconscious information in our brains can affect behavior, perception, cognition, and thinking. And intuition is just one of those ways where, where, where that actually happens, right? Our unconscious is used for decision-making. And so it became one of the main ways. It, it came out of studying consciousness, to be honest. Um, yeah. So do you have a good definition for what intuition is? Yeah, so that's one of the first things to, to get out on the table. So I'm not defining it as anything spiritual, magical, uh, or you know, needing to bring in a sixth sense. I'm defining it as the productive use of unconscious information for better decisions or actions, right? So it's the decisions we make every day, but also actions like when we're playing sport, football, tennis, golf, you name it. The movements of the body can also access unconscious information. Okay, so talk talk me through some examples of using unconscious information in in what we could then call intuition. Yeah, one of my favourite examples is when we walk into a cafe, for example, and in those couple of seconds as you walk in the door there, your brain's processing all the rich information in there, the temperature, the smell, the music, the decor, the colour on the walls, the style of the staff, the music, and a hundred other things. Now, from going to probably hundreds or thousands of cafes previously, this is why experience is important, your brain has learnt which things in those environments predict good coffee or bad coffee, good food, bad food, right, food poisoning or not. And so your brain's processing all those things and they're sort of, you're tapping into the positive or negative thing. In other words, it's red flagging um, if your higher learning has learnt that that particular set of patterns in the cafe predicts bad food or bad coffee. But you're not consciously, logically thinking through all this. It just happens in an instant and you feel it in your body, you feel it in the gut. And that's what people often refer to as that gut feeling. Do you actually feel it literally in the gut? Many people do, yeah. I mean, in the belly, in the in the stomach. Some people, although, talk about it in the chest, um, the hands, fingertips or sweaty palms would be another one. Often people will just feel like a sinking feeling or just something something just doesn't feel right. Um, and often people won't examine it too much. They'll just go, yeah, you know what, Let's maybe let's not eat here. Let's go across the road to the other cafe and bang, that decision's made. But it's made based on a feeling and that's the important thing. Mm. How can you measure that? If, if you're just saying that sometimes people feel it in the stomach or feel it in the chest, how do you research the way that people are experiencing their intuition? 
Yeah, so glad you asked. Um, <laughs> so we'll have to nerd out here a little bit because it's a little bit technical. Um, <laughs> nerd so away. almost 10 years ago. Yeah, excellent. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> You'll regret that. <laughs> um, so about 10 years ago, we developed the first lab-based technique to measure intuition. And what we do, so when, as I said before, we were studying consciousness. We had a way to get stimuli, in this case photographs, into people's brains without them knowing it. And I call this inception or emotional inception to just people may be familiar with the, the film Inception, that Christopher Nolan film from a while back with Leonardo DiCaprio. So we want to get information into people's brains while it's unconscious. And then we want to see how good they are at using that information to improve their decision-making. So we have this, this wacky way of using an optical illusion, a visual illusion called binocular rivalry, which lets us show people an image, let's say a scary image of a spider or something. Um, and then we flash colors in the other eye. And that renders that image completely unconscious. People don't know their eye is being exposed to it. They don't see it, but their eye is still processing it and their brain is still processing it. And because of that, we can see their emotional parts of their brain are responding if it's a spider or a snake or something. So we're getting emotional information into the brain and people don't know we're doing that, right? So it's, it's kind of wacky. It's a little bit crazy. And, then and here I say this time, wasn't a woo-woo segment. <laughs> no, it, this, is, this is one of the methods we use in neuroscience. It's a pretty standard uh, way of probing conscious awareness uh, in the lab in neuroscience research. And then all we do at the exact same time, we get people very simple decisions about some dots moving left or right. And then after we, we train them over and over and we see that they get better and better at this simple decision-making task when that unconscious emotional information is there. So that's, if you go back to my definition, right, we had the unconscious information, it's learnt, people learn it over a few trials and it's emotional, they're feeling it, but they don't know it's there, it's unconscious. And we showed that indeed when that information's there, most people, not everyone, but most people can make better decisions. In other words, they're more accurate and they become faster and they're more confident about their decisions. Right. So this is like when you've had a lot of experience uh, in the workplace, you can make a snap decision about something. And while it might seem to other people a snap decision, it's because you can automatically process a lot of information and experience, which lets you make that decision quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So in the book, the second half of the book is really about these five rules, how to optimize your intuition and practice it safely. And the second rule is M for mastery and exactly that, that you shouldn't use intuition unless you have experience unless you have mastery of the thing that you want to practice intuition for. So if you've never played chess before and you sit down to play chess, you can't just start being an intuitive chess player. You need to learn the moves, learn the basics before you can start being intuitive. So that's an example of one of the rules for intuition. And so presumably intuition then isn't something that, you know, a, a two or three-year-old is likely to have. It's something that you kind of accumulate through years of experience at various things. Yeah, exactly. So experience is key. How that differs over the lifespan, we're still trying to understand. Um, we don't know how it differs from uh, children to adults to, to older adults. That's one of the exciting research questions we're still trying to answer. I've got Dr. Joel Pearson with me, Professor of Cognitive Neuroscience at the University of New South Wales and author of a book called The Intuition Toolkit. Now, I'm equally important when we're talking about intuition is defining what is not intuition. A lot of people attribute mm. decisions to intuition, which aren't intuition. Just give us some examples of that. 
Yeah, so one of the big ones here is um, addiction. So things, your, your drugs, your alcohol, but also behavioral addiction, social media or gambling. And people people often want to say that the, the pull towards checking their email or their social media platforms is intuitive, right? It's, it feels very natural, it's this urge, but that's not intuition. And I don't think it's safe or makes any sense to call it intuition. So that's an example of something which could be confused with intuition and it's not intuition. So the body and brain are working together when it comes to intuition. Mm. Yeah, so so this is the interesting bit that the best way to think about this is that your body has access to this unconscious information. So your body's reacting. Like I said, if I if I show you show your brain if you like, show you a picture of a spider or a snake and make it unconscious, make it invisible, your brain still processes it. But interestingly, your heart rate will still go up. You'll sweat a little bit more, and we can measure that quite easily. Um, so your body is still responding to that information, even though you're not conscious of it. So in other words, your body is responding, and that's what people are feeling. It's called interoception, which is a, a fancy word of just internal perception. So people are picking up on these feelings. Their heart rate increases. They're sweating a little bit more. Different things are happening in their physiology, and that's what where this gut feeling comes from. So your book is actually about trying to enable people to use their intuition better. Is it something that you think a lot of us don't do or don't do well? Yeah, so our data shows that some people use it a lot um, and other people don't. People, Other people make um, or think they make very logical, conscious and rational decisions. However, when people are faced with big decisions, you know, sell the house, buy the house, get married, get divorced, move to a different country, the emotions come up and that's when things get interesting, right? People start saying, oh, my gut's telling me to do this. I think I should do it. And so people then all of a sudden start moving towards these more emotionally driven decisions. My take is I've built these five rules based on how the brain works and the psychology around intuition. And the idea is the best way is to practice using these five rules with very simple decisions. So when the big ones come up, getting married, getting divorced, moving house, that kind of thing, you're practiced, right? So SMILE is an acronym that I use in the book to help people remember these five rules. And for example, the S is for self-awareness. And it's really around being aware of your own emotional state, having self-awareness around your emotions so that you don't practice intuition when you are feeling emotional, stressed, anxious, or depressed. Because, because everyone that knows state, that's when we make terrible decisions. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's, the, that's, really the number one rule when you're in those states you need to do something to bring your your physiology your state back down first before you jump into the decision making so there are rules like that but i think yeah if you can really follow these rules and then uh, practice them with the smaller decisions so you're very familiar with them and it becomes almost automatic then when you get to these bigger decisions where the emotions always come up you're you're well practiced at using your intuition so you use it a lot in your own life joel yeah, I do. And people find people are always shocked by that because I'm a scientist and I, I think I wear a you know, white lab coat. And I'm more rational. But no, I use it, you know, whether I'm playing sport, if I'm going for a run, I use it when I'm reading scientific papers. I use it when we're talking about how to interpret data when we're in the lab, when we're talking about which experiments we should do next, which direction we should go in in terms of research. Yeah, then, then I tend to I will use intuition. I'm not ashamed or embarrassed to talk about it because I know I have mastery in this domain. I've practiced it for many years. Um, and so my intuition is based on 
years and years of prior learning and and it is it is uh something i can rely on okay but how what's the kind of because presumably you're not actually going through a process of really thinking steps through but what is going on when because i presume you don't even go i'm going to make this decision based on intuition let's take one of your examples how how is the intuition working in your life yeah so let's say i'm reading a scientific paper and early on i'll just get a funny feeling i'm like hmm something doesn't seem something i feel like something's off with this this research and i'll get that feeling before i know what is off and i'll note it i won't try and analyze why i'm getting this feeling i'll just note it down and then keep on reading and most of the time when i say keep reading i'll find out that there is there is something wrong with the research there's a problem with the study but i'll get that feeling most of the time before i know there's something wrong and so my brain's picking up on different things the way they did the research uh, all kinds of different factors. And so I don't scrutinize all those factors because I know that they're based on unconscious learning and I don't need to know them all. I just need to follow these five rules. I need to make sure I'm not emotional. I have mastery tick, uh, you know, um, yeah, let's let's go through the rest of them because I think go for the, yeah. yeah, let's so so S so this is smile is the acronym. So we have self awareness, uh, mastery. What's the I stand for? Then the the I is for um, well, it's for it's for instinct, but it's also for addiction. So I so people often talk about instincts and intuition interchangeably, but they're actually different things. So instincts are things we're born with. For example, you know, you give a, a lemon to a baby and they, as soon as they bite into it, they taste it, their face will screw up. So there are responses like that that most animals, biological things will have, right? Things too hot, you'll pull your hand away. Um, so these are instincts that are stable throughout the lifespan, that we're born with them. Whereas, as I said before, intuition is something we learn, it's adjustable, and it changes with the environment. As we learn different things, it changes on the fly. This turns out to be important because there are different instincts that will not change while the environment changes. For example, uncertainty. People are terrified of uncertainty, and we know from lots of neuroscience and psychology that uncertainty is a very fearful uh, stimulus. So just not knowing what something is or what's going to happen next is like a fear stimulus. And once upon a time, that was very adaptive. to needed to have certainty. Nowadays, we have so much uncertainty in the environment, that's maladaptive and it becomes a problem. So instincts are not flexible. Intuition is flexible. And so we don't want to confuse those two. And as I mentioned before, with uh, addiction, we don't want to confuse intuition, feelings of intuition with feelings, the pull towards addictive substances. Okay. So then we've got Um, L. L is for low probability, but it's really all things around probability, probabilistic thinking. Um, So we're just really bad at understanding numbers. So whether it comes to examples of the shark attack, so I'll I'll call this sometimes the shark attack rule. So things that are very, very rare, like a shark attack, but still fire up our emotions and we imagine the shark swimming underneath us and the Jaws music and we get really scared of it. But it's much more dangerous to be driving than be swimming in the ocean in terms of sharks. But we're much more scared of sharks than we are cars. And so we get we tend to worry about the wrong things. We're not good at understanding numbers, whether it becomes sharks or buying lottery tickets or understanding climate change or probabilities of getting uh, uh, sick from smoking. So when it comes to to numbers and probabilities, just don't use your intuition. That's the rule there. 
So are you saying don't buy a lottery ticket because I have an intuition I might win, which I shouldn't have, exactly. I, I, but I shouldn't have exactly. that anyway, should I? Because shouldn't all the, um, the uh, information that I have absorbed over the years tell me that I'm not going to win the lottery? Yeah, but when it comes to we, we don't, we kind of discount that the prob- we don't understand the probabilities and we discount them and we start imagining, you know, the new car, the new house, whatever it's going to be, the holiday on the beach. We start imagining these things and we get very excited and we think it might just happen to me. So let me go and buy. And I fall for this, right? If I start picturing all that in my head, I think, oh, I should go and buy a lottery ticket, right? And the the probability is so low that it's kind of, you know, it's really a waste of money, right? Yeah. But we still kind of ignore that probability and and want the feeling. So, yeah, we, we just should not. And there's all kinds of examples in psychology around how we get probabilities wrong, get numbers wrong. So we just don't feel numbers like we do with other things. Mm. Uh, Dr. Joel Pearson is here with me on Nightlife. You're with Suzanne Hill. Um, and Joel is um, Professor of Cognitive Neuroscience at the University of New South Wales, and he has a book out called The Intuition Toolkit. Okay, so we've done S-M-I-L. We just need the E. The E, yep, it's for environment. And this goes back to the M for learning. And it turns out that the kind of learning that intuition is based on. It's quite, what's called associative learning. So if people remember the old Pavlov's dogs and stuff from, from high school or from university, um, this is that automatic associative learning. And it turns out that it's specific to your environment, to your context. And the example I like to give for this is back in the day when you're studying for an exam, right, you're cramming in your bedroom, then not only are you learning the stuff or trying to learn the stuff for the exam, your brain's also learning the room in other words it joins the room with the information so when you go to the exam room it's actually much harder to remember the information because it your brain has stamped in the bedroom with that so in other words this becomes important so if you've developed intuition and you've honed it really well in the workplace then if you start trying to transfer that to the home environment or any other environment it may not transfer as well an example I give of this is Steve Jobs, who was a huge fan uh, at Apple, was a huge fan of intuition and practiced it and talked about it. And he was a master of it when it came to, you know, beautiful product design. Later in his life, when it came to his health decisions uh, and things outside of work, he made some poor decisions, right? So his, his use of intuition, which was honed for years at work in product design, did not transfer to health decisions or decisions at home. And that's kind of a poignant example of what I'm talking about here, that just because you train it for one thing doesn't mean it will transfer to other things in your life. So we need to be careful of that. So can we train ourselves in different environments? Yeah, exactly. So we can. So we can train in different environments. Um, and that's what we need to do. We need to generalize that. So we've trained at work. We need to sort of train a bit and practice that up at home. And it makes this kind of makes sense when you think about it. When you, when you use examples of the cafe I'll be used at the beginning, right? If, if I go to, a, if I'm used to cafes here in Sydney and I go to a cafe in Tokyo or um, somewhere very different, you know, the North Pole, uh, I don't know, somewhere very, very different, all those learnings are going to be invalidated because everything's going to be different, right? So what my intuition had learned for a good coffee, bad coffee, good food in Sydney won't apply in Tokyo, probably won't apply in Shanghai. Maybe it'll apply in New York, maybe not fully. So it depends on the environment. Okay, so if everyone tonight wants to just practice a little bit of intuition, is there an exercise we can do? I think following those five rules in SMILE 
and starting with small decisions. And keep track. So I'm a fan of this, whether it's in a phone app or just writing on a bit of paper, you know, write down what the decision was. Was it this cafe or that cafe? Was it trust this person or don't trust that person? Take a note of the decision, what you felt, if you felt a gut response, what the feeling was like, and if you followed it or not, and what the outcome was going to be. So try and keep track of this practice of intention. Try and practice it daily and get better at it and better at it. As you do this more, these five rules in SMILE will become more and more automatic until you don't really need to think about them anymore. And then it just becomes automatic and easy. Joel, thanks so much for being on Nightlife tonight to explain uh, a bit about intuition to us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Uh, Dr. Joel Pearson is a professor of cognitive neuroscience at the University of New South Wales and uh, the author of the Intuition Toolkit. You're listening to Nightlife with Suzanne Hill on ABC Radio and on the ABC Listen app.